Welcome to the Cincy Postcast Midweek Edition. I am your host, Kevin Wallace, and boy, do we have a full episode for you. We start off the rails within the 11 out of the 18. In part two, it's Jim Trace and the Makers. Don't know who they are? Well, they're playing the music you're listening to right now. They also helped start the Pride Supporters Group for FC Cincinnati. And we wrap it up with some news around MLS and FC Cincinnati, including our boy Nick Haglin finally getting his extension there. And that is going to be your postcast. Joining me on this lovely Thursday edition of the Cincy Postcast, we've got the Chief and we've got Grayson. Grayson, how does the midweek find you, my good sir? Pretty great. Uh, as everybody <laughs> listening to this knows, I'm a lifelong fan of a Violette AC, a uh, <laughs> professional soccer team based in Port-au-Prince, uh, Haiti. That yes. we all definitely had to Google the location of <laughs> as we watched right. them start putting a hurt on Austin FC. <laughs> uh, I, too, am a fan of not just them, but whatever stadium in the Dominican Republic that they are playing in with the gigantic tree that was behind the goal. And I thought this was interesting. The stadium is eight years old. That tree is definitely older than eight years old. I don't know a lot about trees, but I'll say it's older than eight years old. But if you consider the stadium around it, if you consider the stadium, the tree, a part of the stadium, then the stadium is hundreds of years old then at that point, right? <laughs> this is, I mean, I, I, I'm ashamed to admit this as a UC Bearcats fan. This is the nipper argument, which is like the fourth oldest playing surface or continuous right. playing of, surface. The stadium of theses. Or <laughs> you, know what it, you know what it could be? Is the tree could have been like some kind of supernatural force because... You know, Austin has the tree symbol. Oh, yeah. El, El tree. tree. Yeah. And they do that stupid fucking El tree thing. <laughs> Which, like, I'm sorry. You play in the United States of America. I know you think it's like a cute little pun or something. But when, that that's not Spanish for tree. It's I, Arbol. So, so you're like... No, but it's, it's American. So El tree, when you say it, you're cheering for Mexico. I'm sorry, because you're saying it. You're no, saying El Tree. It's freshman year Spanish, where you don't know what the word is. So you just add the word L in front of whatever the English word is. That would be El Trio. Freshman year Spanish would be El Trio. Everyone knows this. Don't No, that would be El Thirdo. We're talking about freshman year Spanish. El Trio is a half-decent Italian Spanish fusion restaurant that you can get in, in Kenwood. Uh, in Kenwood, yeah. <laughs> You can the get like thing, a though, guacamole lasagna or something. That actually sounds delicious. No, I, I, when, I was, when I was a kid going to uh, growing up, we went to Myrtle Beach for vacation a lot because we were kind of whiskey tango. And um, <laughs> there was a restaurant that was a combination Mexican-Italian restaurant. And oh. I just don't understand why those two concepts would exist. But Rosalinda's, if you were if it's still open, definitely check that out. It, there's no way it can possibly be open. Can you um, clear something up for me, by the yeah. way? Just sorry on that. Um, what's, uh, what's Myrtle Beach and what's Hilton Head? 
Ooh, this is good. Are they, are they different? Is it the same? What's going on there? So Myrtle Beach is Hilton Head is what people on the west side of Cincinnati think. I was exactly going to do this. And so <laughs> if you're a west sider from Cincinnati, Hilton Head is where you go when you want to feel superior to the people that go to Myrtle Beach. Because there's not a lot of daylight between these two places. The only difference is, is that you feel classy playing golf in Hilton Head versus at Myrtle Beach. You're getting a $10 round at the Gator Hole somewhere. And um, yeah, no, Myrtle yeah. Beach is. the. Are, are you familiar with the Sonny Ludford song Myrtle Beach? No. Oh, Google this. It's like an <laughs> anthem. Like if you've ever been on a bad vacation, Myrtle Beach, Sonny Ludford. It's a song that will change your life. If you've ever been someplace like Daytona, Myrtle Beach, um, Kitty Hawk, same way. Well, I've just been to Kitty Hawk. Yeah. Just a lot of people that want to buy an airbrush T-shirt on vacation. That's like their kind of destination for things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. In the 11 of the 18, Chief. In the 11 this week, in the 11 this week are the Xavier Musketeers. We're oh, back in the boy. Big East tournament for the first time uh, as a decent seed. I know that some people on this podcast probably aren't looking forward to the Big East tournament as much as I am. Um, I'm actually going to be in New York uh, soon. So. I thought they canceled the Big East tournament this year. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can understand how some people would think that if their team, you know, is playing on Wednesday, like a total peon. Couldn't be me this year now that we fired Travis Steele. So I'm actually going to New York for the Big East uh, tournament. I will be at Madison Square Garden on Thursday. So I appreciate everyone. By the time you're listening to this, I will already have been um, either landed or in New York for an extended period of time. Got bumped to first class because I'm a fancy podcaster and that's what happens when you make 60 cents an episode. Um, I know, right? Fucking cool. <laughs> um, Are you going to go see and Juliet? I what, haven't what, seen what bro what Broadway show are you going to see while you're up there? I don't know. I'm going to go to Tix and see whatever's the cheap ticket. Obviously, like a real to a true tourist. Um, <laughs> is that even a thing? I remember you used to wait back in line in Times Square to get Broadway tickets. I'm so assuming they, you just do it online do, now. They still do TKTS, but what you should do is, if you really don't care what you're going to see, is just get the uh, uh, Today Ticks app, and, and they they do a lot of the they do a lot of the same day lotteries through that app now, and also it's like oh like last second I can go see this for thirty bucks I'm just gonna do it. I did see. Um, speaking, of, I know that I make a lot of jam band references on here. One of my uh, more favorite new jam bands, Goose, is playing a five night. Um, Five nights consecutively in New York while I'm there. The problem is wow. I'm going with my father-in-law and I don't know how to convince my father-in-law to go see a jam band where like maybe if I was bringing edibles with me, but that seems like a risk to fly with edibles. So <laughs> I don't Just know if that's going to be in the cards. Can't you get whoever... them there? Is it legal yes. in New York? I have I no idea. I think it is. I think it is legal in New York. It feels legal. It's legal-ish. Isn't that what matters? Right. I mean, there's no cash bail, so if they do get you, you'll be fine. Right. I mean, it's all all misdemeanor <laughs> crime is legal out there. I've heard that about that, and I've heard that about all sorts of other cities. No, I'm excited. Um, the last time I was in New York, I was out there uh, for business and um, ended up by myself at a, uh, a pizzeria that was recommended to me by Grayson here on the podcast, where... Um, Prince was, Street Pizza. Prince Street Pizza. It was phenomenal. It was Hell really, yeah. really good. It was <laughs> Prince Street was phenomenal. And the best part of the trip to Prince Street was that I'd been with some coworkers 
they we all were drinking and we went to dinner, that sort of thing. And then they cashed in for the night because they're all significantly older than I am on the start. I was the kid on the trip. And then I was like, well, I'm going to this pizzeria. And back in the day, if you were in some place like New York, it was kind of a struggle to figure out where you were going, getting around if you didn't know your way around. Like being in D.C., I knew my way around the city pretty well. But you go anyplace else outside of that, it's like, oh, like riding the subway is like a foreign language. Well, now you just punch it into your phone. Yeah. And your phone tells you exactly what train to get on, what stop to get off at and everything. So I'm hammered and I'm punching this like Prince Street pizza in. I could have been going to Pluto for all I knew, like getting <laughs> on the train. So I get there. The pizza's phenomenal. And I'm going back to my hotel. And as I'm standing on the subway platform, I look to my left and there is a person just sort of sitting on the bench, passed out with their pants around their ankles and just hanging dong for the entire world to see. And all I could think about was, ah. I miss living in a city, like a real, like proper city. <laughs> like Cincinnati's fine, but you just don't get the bum passed out at three in the morning, hanging dong on a subway track in Cincinnati for a number of reasons, not the least of which that we don't have a subway in Cincinnati, which I think is uh, you just miss a lot in life when you don't have that. That's a good point that that experience might be available to you just without the subway car. So if you get <laughs> down in the tunnels, you you may be able to have this moment. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see somebody um, just, you know, stop in the middle of the sidewalk and start peeing. You can do that here. I did it the other day when I was out for a run. <laughs> so, you know, you can get the stuff in a big city that you you yeah. can get that stuff here. It's is, there. is my point. There's it's all there. it's it's like I forget who said this the other day on the group chat where it's like anything that you need in any city you can find in Cincinnati. You just might have to look a little harder for it as opposed to a larger city where there might, like if you want to find good Chinese food, there's good Chinese food in Cincinnati. We just don't have a Chinatown. So it's like, right. might not be as readily available. You just gotta look, same situation. We might not have a subway with a guy passed out with his pants around his ankles, but if you're really looking for that we have experience. a subway restaurant with a guy passed around. <laughs> <laughs> Eat Available fresh. every half block, <laughs> yes. All right, out of your 18. Yeah. Out of my 18, um, out of my 18 is fuck. Because, um, oh. I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> like the Vietnamese food? <laughs> No, that would be fa. I'm talking fuck as in the word that was shouted loudly at the St. Louis SC home opening match that caused a meltdown online oh. as the St. Luligans <laughs> declared we need to be better than using curse words inside the stadium and wow. we need to be a lot more clever. And I loved this for so many reasons. Um, a, because I like watching other fan bases have problems with fans telling other fans how to be fans great inject this directly into my veins but yes. also specifically the city of st louis because they are without a doubt the most sanctimonious fan base known to mankind um yes. the st louis cardinals fans became a meme for a reason the best fans in baseball and so yeah. to see that being immediately picked up by St. Louis SC. And no, you don't understand. Be better. If you see fellow fans cursing, tell them to be better than this. It's like, just just do do less. Do it a is lot the most less. Sa it is the most St. Louis thing because like the Cardinals fans simultaneously think of themselves as like the politest, classiest fans in the league. But they are notoriously 
of a certain kind of persuasion. Let's just say virulently yeah. racist as well. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I say the uh, the best fans cards, best fans Twitter account. I forget the exact handle. Just incredible. Just retweeting the worst elements of the Cardinals fan base. Always and like a good you follow. know like there's an element in every fan base. Sure, right? But it is front and center. Both like how particular they are with like oh we're like the best most polite fans and then also just absolutely ignoring (laughs) a very very public and prominent very ugly side of how they approach uh players there was so much about this that i enjoyed and the the, where this debate sort of reached a crescendo and it turned into like st louis fans fighting with other st louis fans and people from the outside making fun of them for being you know losers um (laughs) a a take that came from uh an account and i'm just gonna read the account straight out it's at fc toasted ravs um, on Twitter, <laughs> where he came forward as with a suggestion as to how they could do better at being a little less vulgar. This ravioli. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't feel like typing out my chat ideas to a profile with no picture with no picture. But a very simple idea is instead of the everybody chant, replace that with ravioli. It totally plays <laughs> And is new unique to St. Louis. So a guy with an account, FC Toasted Rabs, which if you're not familiar with St. Louis, St. Louis is is famous for exactly two types of cuisine. Um, Number one is St. Louis style pizza, which they put Prevel cheese on and it tastes like feet. It's the worst thing ever. If someone offers to get you a St. Louis style pizza, (laughs) run in the opposite direction and go to a Papa John's. You'll have a better experience. And the other thing is toasted ravioli, which if you've never had that, it's like any kind of fried ravioli appetizer you'd get at like a shitty chain restaurant, like TGI Fridays or Applebee's, like deep fried ravioli. Yeah. They have this in St. Louis. It's toasted ravioli. It's trash. It's good trash. It's like, you know, a, a Totino's, but it's still trash. So this guy with an account, FC Toasted Ravs, finally sees, ah, this is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm going to sell, use this as an opportunity to sell my chant about ravioli instead. It was just, it's an incredible interaction on Twitter. And now all I want to do when St. Louis comes to town is start chanting ravioli. (laughs) Shoehorning ravioli instead of Cincinnati everywhere we can. Ravioli, here we go. It works. Ole, ole. Everyone eats us and that's okay. Olé, olé, more like Chef Boyardee, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> it's, it's Sir Chomps a lot with better marketing behind it is what it is. <laughs> oh, my God. Grayson, in the 11. All right, my in my 11 is soccer related. Oh, God, okay. here we go. It is um, uh, tactical flexibility. Ooh, and okay. there, was a, there was an article in the New York Times uh, last weekend about um, – how how the a trend in world soccer is away from rigid systems toward you know more positionless or you know more flexible tactics and i think it's a i think it's a really good point i mean they brought up like how man city is not looking as dominant as they have in years past uh jurgen klopp uh jesse marsh's struggles at leeds with the red bull 
uh, system. And um, I think it's I think it's like a what I think it really reveals is um, the point that like I think a lot of times in sports and in in everything, everything competitive, people see somebody be successful at something and they're like, oh, we're going to replicate that. that yeah. Right. Like Moneyball <laughs> in baseball, like everybody was like, oh, we're just going to do the same stuff that uh, that the A's did. And um what people don't appreciate as much is like what you're really looking for is like a competitive exploit, you know? Yes. So yes. like, yeah, like if you're the first person to really drill down like a, like a tiki taka system or like if Pep just like walks into a league and he's got a perfect system with a perfect team and he's the only guy that's got that, right. you know, that's a big competitive advantage. <laughs> but if everybody is looking for a system or everybody, because the second you're successful, something people are going to copy you. Right. And once everybody is copying that, there will become a time where the next time that uh, somebody is successful is um, is somebody who maybe like reverts to how people were doing it, or finds like a new way of doing things. Is this like an Incredibles thing where it's like if everyone is special, no one is special, or everyone is super, no one is super? No, but it's like. It's like if everybody is trying to get like the best on base percentage, then just it's going to become whoever just has the most money. Right. Is going to be the best team. Which right? is funny right. because it's like it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the money ball concept, which is the money ball concept isn't find the best on base percentage. It's yes. zig when everybody else is zagging. That's and exactly the concept. Is, yes. If everyone is zagging then you better zig. And once everybody figures out, oh, we need to zig, then that's your chance to go the other way. And if you don't realize that, you probably need to reread the book a little bit. <laughs> right. ab ab absolutely. And that's why, like, I mean, I, I just thought it was an interesting illustration of that concept in article form. And it's also why, you know, I hope that Pat Noonan and Chris Albright can find the right tweak on the, on the Philly model. Right. Because it's like, OK, we take what's useful from Philly, but, yeah. you know, add on high priced talent or add on, you know, a formation change or whatever. Uh, and that's that's the key to success is figuring out what's. What's the thing that that everybody else is not doing yeah. right that that we can that we can take advantage of. One of my favorite examples of this, uh, especially in England, but you could see it in the U.S. as well a little bit, um, was when top flight English soccer teams started self-integrating or, uh, yeah, self-integrating black players into their teams, which happened alarmingly late in the sport, like in the 70s and 80s is when they finally start accepting uh, black players into their uh, match day squads and things like that. Not that it wasn't happening before, just that it started being accepted. But the first teams that embraced that immediately did better because they were they were exploiting a weakness in the marketplace, which is there were these guys that were really good at soccer that nobody else would give a job to. So if you got them and it was fairly easy, you all of a sudden had a much higher, you know, ceiling on your team because you were exploiting a, uh, a flaw in everybody else's, you know, roster built strategy of excluding large segments of the population. So, um, 
Yeah, no, I I love it. I love it. What's out of the 18 then? Uh, people replying to me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so I I put what I thought was a very mild and obvious joke. But I quote tweeted a MLS attendance thread. And I said, FCC is not enlisted any is not listed at all. Right. <laughs> We all know they were on the road last weekend. Do we know that? I'm a season ticket holder. Do you I know that? Pe- I knew I wasn't at the game <laughs> and I have season tickets. And it's like, a, like I don't know, like a dozen people replied to me and they were like, well, they were in Orlando last weekend. I'm like, regardless. No reg- fucking duh. <laughs> I mean, it did appear to the outside world you you may have made a mistake, a grave mistake in what was going on. It may have appeared to a brain dead person. Or maybe it was like, it's attendance FC. It's like, even when we're on the road, we should still make these top 10 charts. (laughs) I uh, I, I really do think. It was just a (laughs) dumb tweet. Come on, people. Regardless of the result on Saturday, when those attendance tweets inevitably come out, you just got to say... At least we beat Seattle in this one, or yeah. you know, we beat Seattle twice on Saturday. Whatever it is, people just- people will people will pee their pants. Like they'll just-, just be like, "Oh, he doesn't know. He doesn't know Seattle was here." I think that maybe the best thing to do is become a reply guy because I love. I've started to fall in love with internet reply guys where. All they do is they exist to build a following just by replying to popular tweets. And just every time one of those pops up, reply with, seems like St. Louis interest has really fallen off a cliff. Don't even see them on this list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say a supplement to the on the 11 is the mute uh, button. (laughs) Because I do see a lot fewer replies than I used to. uh the uh the posts mute list is very large i uh i I had to mute a good number of people god bless you especially with the new twitter algorithms and constantly being served up people that i didn't want to see when i was signed in as the post um so yeah including elon musk which maybe i put him out of my 18 here but in my 11 uh, this is one of my all-time favorites, and I'm glad we're we're bringing it back. Um, FCC's at home this weekend, then they are on the road for the next two, meaning this weekend is your quote-unquote St. Patrick's Day match, and we're up against a green team in Seattle. In the 11 is one of my all-time favorite Bailey debates. Are you allowed to wear green when the opponent is green, but it's actually St. Patrick's Day? And this is just a revival of the old 2019 debate, and I really hope that this is a controversy on Saturday. Uh, I say you pinch anybody wearing green. I feel like that's a good rule of thumb, and uh, I'm not going to make any fans in the uh, the brigade, but uh, you're not Irish, so like just chill out with this whole thing. So there you go. Wear green under your FC stuff. So... Wear Orange. it to the bar. Yeah. Put your put your shirt on. Put your ope shirt on over it. And then take your ope shirt off when the game's over and go back out to holiday spirits wherever you go. Is this an argument what? for is this an argument for FC Cincinnati to have a green kit? Like, you know how the Reds have the green 
St. Patrick's Day jersey right. that they wore once, I think. And you can constantly buy the green reds jersey on DH gate or wherever for all time. Like I know so many people that have a Pete Rose reds uh, pullover, the old school 1980s jersey, which I think they like I said, I think they wore one time yeah. ever. But if we're going to constantly keep playing on St. Patrick's Day, if this is going to be a thing, why don't we have a green jersey for Seattle to wear some other color? Like it, there should be an option for every team to wear a green jersey in their home stadium on St. Patrick's Day. And like I would get it if there was this big thing like, oh, you don't you know, our team never wears this color. It's fucking soccer. Like every team wears every <laughs> color. There is like I have Chelsea kits that are like 90 percent of the rainbow when the, the team's colors are blue. It's blue and white, yet somehow I have a highlighter yellow crit. Why? I don't know. Um, I have a red one. Why? I have no idea. You would think you wouldn't wear that, yet here we find ourselves. So should every FC, should every MLS team have the ability to wear a green kit on St. Patrick's Day? I say yes. I, I just hope it becomes a big controversy, especially with the opponent being green. And um, yeah, I just I really hope this becomes like the next big Twitter controversy. I just think we should become a uh, loyalist fan base. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the say, colors. One of the yeah. colors of of you know Irish unionism uh, is orange. You know, is, just say we we support the motherland. We're good yeah. Protestants. If I remember correctly, Whoa. I'm probably going to butcher hang this on, off the top on, of the head. On. <laughs> the, the orange is protestant the green is catholic and the white in the middle was supposed to represent the peace between the two groups is my very probably wrong interpretation of like the irish flag and the identity so yeah orange is perfectly acceptable here i think probably not because it's saint patrick's day but whatever the easiest solution <laughs> to this is that mls should always have portland and seattle playing at home on saint patrick's day and just remove this as a debate for everyone else yeah yeah i'm into that yeah that makes sense and also boston just in chicago for boston reasons yeah chicago and boston can play each other like that's there okay. That's the trade-off I'm willing to make is that they <laughs> like these teams get to play at home on St. Patrick's Day. FC Cincinnati gets to play at home during October on Oktoberfest. Whenever Oktoberfest is for Cincinnati, we get a home game that weekend. Yes. And I don't know, what do you dress what's what's the Oktoberfest color besides, you know, puke? Orange brown, and brown, right? Brown, brown Lederhosen. Lederhosen. Yeah. That doesn't really fit, but we should have um, a later. We should have a later hosing kit, shouldn't a we? A later hosing <laughs> kit would be awesome. <laughs> like the uh, the uh, what was it? The Packers did a brown helmet to sort of like replicate the old uh, leather back or the uh, the leatherheads uh, helmets. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Could do so that. so that's the trade. Well, I will concede <laughs> that these teams get to be on the, at home on St. Patrick's Day and they can wear green and we don't all have to worry about that. Just ensure that we play a home game for Oktoberfest and it's all it's all gravy. And then we never have to have this debate. We never have to consider is it a pair is it okay to wear green in the Bailey? Because now they fucked us on this two times in the course yes. of our MLS history. And that's not cool. I'm kind of over this now at this point. It's just it's too close, too close to St. Patrick's Day. Uh out of my 18, I'm gonna put Cincinnati Reds fans uh just super disappointed with the fan base here. I'm I'm looking at uh online polls with our, our local sports reporters and and 
sports uh, radio hosts asking, how are Reds fans feeling about the season? How are Reds fans feeling about the team? And uh, I saw one. It was a cautiously optimistic uh was it apathetic and angry? I was like, oh, clearly everybody's angry. I click angry. It was at like 9% and 75% was cautiously optimistic. Oh my God. I threw my hands up. Like, all right, well, this is dumb. This is dumb. You're all dumb. This whole thing is dumb. Um, we get the we get the team that we deserve here. So, God bless all of you uh, who are gonna go to the uh, the Great American Ballpark, support this product, and uh, just continue to uh, ruin our city's reputation, ruin the team's legacy and history, and honestly, be disrespectful to all of the players over the last few years who enjoyed playing in Cincinnati and who were actually upset that ownership sent them away because they weren't going to field a competitive team and they wanted to be a part of a competitive team in Cincinnati. So I was kind of mad on Twitter. Well, I wasn't wasn't tweeting about it, but like I was kind of mad because I was seeing a lot of tweets about like Reds players doing like a three point contest. Right. And I'm right. like, man, do like a fucking hit the baseball contest. <laughs> <laughs> a, throw, a throw strikes contest. <laughs> yeah. All right, here's, a, here's a fun mental activity. Between the two of you, how many members of the Reds projected starting lineup do you think you could name? Joey Vada. He's going to start the season on the DL, I think. So z- zero. Is is Winker or Winkler? I Winker can got traded remember. to Seattle. Okay, yep, good. He got traded. That's good. All right, so I'll okay. give you one. I'll I start you off with one. Jonathan India is probably going to be playing second base. Right, Jonathan India. Yeah. Okay. Can you name? Can between the two of you, without googling, can either one of you name another starter for the Cincinnati Reds in the projected lineup? <laughs> is Tyler Stevenson going to start a catcher? Yeah. Yeah, I think Tyler Stevenson. There you go. Okay, there's one. Congratulations. What a podcast. I uh, almost was going to say Tucker Barnhart. And he I might think be he's in the back. Minors. I think, no, I okay. think he's back. I think we got him back again. Um, is is Nick Senzel on the team still? I think so. I we tr- traded him. No, I, I, think, no so I want to point out, like, look, I would normally know, like, everybody on the Reds. Yeah. But I am making a concerted effort to not let them, not let them bother me this yeah. year because it's so fucking depressing it's, i will say i will say yeah. though that in as a uh as a supplemental in the 11 in the 11 um watching reds baseball on television because apparently bally sports is about to declare bankruptcy and all of those games may be streamed by mlb on the mlb tv package which i get for free through t-mobile so i have not been able to watch a reds game since they took their product off youtube tv and i am not going to rejoin spectrum or dish network just to watch the reds lose 100 games so when it comes to like oh i don't know who's playing on the team yeah i know like hunter green and nick lodolo just because they're like the famous prospects but i don't watch the reds anymore because they've made their products so hard to consume 
Yeah. I I just don't understand where any of the optimism is coming from. So I went back and looked at, okay, so what the idea is that we've got really good prospects. So in the next couple of years, the team will do really well. So, okay. I don't know how long you expect a, a team to be shit before they peak, but I went back five years and I went back 10 years and I looked at how many sort of consensus top 100 prospects were in the Reds farm system in 2015 and, or, or what was was it 2017 and then 2012 and in both 2017 and 2012 they had the exact same number of top 100 prospects that they do now which was like four or five just like i don't know it's not like they have a bunch of consensus top 20 prospects that are just ready to explode out onto the the scene in in the next two years like this team is still gonna be shit It's 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 like being in a depression spiral and you don't see any way out and I'm going to handle it the same way. I'm going to ignore it <laughs> until it goes away on its own. I going to say stop <laughs> engaging until it's no longer there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So yeah, Reds fans, if you if you buy a ticket, I'm mad at you. I think is where I'm going. Or if you buy a ticket and don't somehow protest. I almost prefer that. Apathy is the death of a fan base. If you are a Reds fan and you buy a ticket, you need, it is your your moral obligation to hold up a sell the team bob or trade Votto to a competitor you know, to a contender sign. Like you you have an obligation to voice dissent or else you are actually more of the problem than the owners here. So. I say I say do whatever you want. Sure. But don't like yell at me. For <laughs> don't not tell me to support it. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is it's just it's even when the Reds suck, it's still fun to go to a baseball game. Like on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, grabbing a ticket to the game. They'll be dirt cheap because the team sucks, having a couple beers, especially when it's a nice summer night out. It's a it's a social activity when the team is bad more than it is an actual sporting event. You know where there's a uh, a cheaper ticket with similar vibes. Florence, baby. Florence yells. It's a long, that's a long that's a long way south. It's not that far south. There's a Canes over there. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to Dayton if you're if you're closer and see all these these amazing new prospects that are clearly gonna lead us to a World Series in twenty thirty eight or yeah, whatever the, the hell this is. The problem is then you have to go to Dayton. Which just, <laughs> just there's a canes yeah. on the way to Dayton. There's a cane. Is that like <laughs> if there was a? It's bu- all based if, around canes. Really. If there was a if there was a Bucky's on the way, you might have my attention. But I'm yeah. sure Lexington has a double A team. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know that confidently, but I'm sure. Um, gentlemen, we've got an interview to do. And we should probably get to it, given how we are recording these. Uh, No, we are joined by two members. I believe we're getting two members. We'll find out when we join the Zoom. uh, Of Jim Trace and the Makers. You've heard them at the beginning of the podcast, the middle of the podcast, the end of the podcast. And now you get to hear them for a very long time in the middle of the podcast. So hope you enjoy this and uh, maybe see you on the other side. (laughs) 
Uh, joining us now on the postcast, we have Brendan O'Brien and Schwai from Jim Trace and the Makers. You will be able to find these two gentlemen and the rest of the band at Rock and Revival at the Southgate House Revival in Newport this Saturday. Uh, is an awesome festival. Over twenty local bands, or maybe just exactly twenty local bands. Uh, they've raised about fifty thousand dollars overall doing uh, this event over the years. Been going since twenty eighteen. Uh, they're in their eighth year. Look, doors open at 2 p.m. You can get in before the FC Cincinnati game. These guys are going on stage at 6.30. So again, if you're quick, if you get some good luck with the, the streetcar, you can catch this show and make it before kickoff to FCC. Uh, you've got Jim Trace and the Makers. Again, Brendan Schwai, thank you for joining the postcast. Thanks for having it's an absolute pleasure. My my favorite FCC podcasts that, uh, you know, release on Monday and Thursday. You guys are the best. Love you guys. I, you know, I'll take. And I'll you know what? With that, thank you, guys for, thank you guys for joining us. You said everything. <laughs> we need to hear from you guys. You've been a lovely guest. Thank you. We'll see you Saturday. <laughs> we have successfully extracted the soundbite that we needed. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm so happy to have you guys on. Uh, you have very generously uh, lent us your music uh, on the podcast. So I am always, always, always appreciative of that. I mean, you did replace Das Hark's sweet, sweet techno music that used to be on the uh the pod um, what, was, what was your favorite part of the the techno music was it the the bumper music after the guest where it sounded really depressing like we were sad that we ended an interview My, <laughs> i was gonna say you know not not to offend das harks but i really thought that was just like a you know like stock like you know uh beat that you could like just google on you know on the internet so um yeah, it's you know it, it is you know obviously more than happy to to for you guys to use our music. It is a little bit like when you hear yourself um, on you know hear your voice back, it gets yeah. a little cringe. You're like, oh shit, man, uh, <laughs> God, we really suck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's us in a studio. That's when we're at our best too. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh. God. <laughs> you get a couple of cracks at it too. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I hope you guys didn't mind me uh, absolutely butchering it with a uh, bizarre artistic choice I had, which was to constantly loop a part of the song as to make a longer trail at the end of a uh, ad read. I was, I was getting in deep on those sound waves. So I, I apologize if I, if I took anything no. away from the music. No, I love, no, honestly, that was our vision when we recorded that song. I remember telling Brendan, like, this would be perfect for a soccer podcast. Like I remember, I remember being like the producer, like actually, can we do it one more time? It needs to be like it has like an intro vibe to it. And, uh, so I think I think we nailed it, guys. I really do. As like you're recording this song, it's like man, this would sound great with someone doing a live read yeah. from me undies over it. Right. <laughs> I, have, I have to imagine this is how a lot of like uh, smooth jazz artists felt when uh, they thought they were Miles Davis and uh, whoever is getting the licenses for elevator music reaches out and they're like, Hey, we really like this track. We want it. We want it in all the Hiltons. Like, Absolutely. Oh, shit. It's like, sir, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're about to be really famous. You are about to appear in the on hold music for every customer service call to United airlines. At least you guys ask, though, because the, you, you look at these people that do like stock video and stock photography, and then they wind up in like 
laxative commercials, you know, because they, they, yes. they just signed all their rights away. So I think we still have some control over the music. So or, or even or even worse, it's like the dude that's like the uh, the bearded guy holding the mug that's sort of like smiling painfully, and all of a sudden he's a meme. Like he was <laughs> yeah, just right. he I was the just Harold. Yeah, he that was just guy. a stock image somewhere, and all of a sudden he's like all over the internet on yeah. every joke yeah. for a solid six months. <laughs> hey, Brendan, we're not above laxative commercials, all right? You know, we, we need some royalties coming in so let's let's not knock that i mean i'll take it i'm not mad about it. <laughs> i mean i just like learned shitty, that we got you know, a like me yourself ad. listen to this band uh, <laughs> 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 your music becomes the laxative this is, this yeah. is the problem right exactly oh, it's, it's, a, it's a new uh but yeah very uh, futuristic medication. Just listen to that. Just listen to this crappy band. Oh my god! <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I'm happy to have you guys on because obviously you're you're doing some of the music for us uh, here. But if I have this correct, fairly big FC Cincinnati fans. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, so you know. You know, not to give too much away too early, but uh, Brennan and I were, were founding members of the Pride. So we get that's how we got on the podcast. We got platinum status here, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, massive fans. I mean, so, uh, you know, back in 2015, when the team was going to be announced in the USL, um, I lived with uh, Payne Rankin, the, the original president of the Pride. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, kind of the story went that he his uh, stepbrother owned a T-shirt company. And kind of got wind of of a soccer team coming into Cincinnati. Um, I think you know he might have been either hired to do some merch, or maybe it was going out to bid, and just somehow he got wind of it. And so Payne was like, you know, well, shit, let's try to you know let's start a supporters group and and really get behind this team. So, you know, we started the Pride. I was, you know, I was kind of a founding father by proxy, not really. Uh, you know, was it definitely was not my idea. Um, but yeah, and you know, just kind of fell in love with the team um, from the get-go. We've been season ticket holders uh, since 2015, and you know, been a been a Bailey stand ever since. Yeah, this is this is my second ever uh, FCC related podcast appearance. The first one was almost eight years ago. We were on like it was Payne and I on like it was some Louisville supporters, you know, podcast or something like that, something USL related. So it took me eight years to get invited back. So I'm going to try to, uh, shorten that gap, maybe down to like six years before anyone wants me on their show again. Try not to say anything, uh, too dumb, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, if you want to come back, you better say something really dumb. <laughs> we, we listen to the pod. We don't want to go back on. We've already yeah, equated the harder the take, the faster the interview could come back is. So you just have <laughs> yeah. to burn the microphone up if you want to get an invite. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Oh my god! No, I uh, I appreciate this. If anybody is uh, not familiar with these two gentlemen, and I know uh, uh, Brendan, uh, you were also a uh, fairly early member, if not founding member of the pride here. But uh, if you have any members of uh, the pride out there listening who are not familiar with you two, uh, I, I really appreciate this. You're both emojis on the pride discord server. So yeah. if you, uh, you throw in the dad emoji or the schwa emoji, your guys' faces are on there. That's, that's basically that's, immortality. Yes. Yeah. I mean, screw the band. Like we've, we've kind of made it <laughs> in, in that sense for sure. 
And before he was an emoji, I definitely may or may not have photoshopped him in a uh, into the background of a Donald Trump rally with the yes. same with the same picture of him in sunglasses. <laughs> like, I posted it on the, uh, the the Slack back in the day, and I just got a message from him. Can you take that down, please? <laughs> hey, man, uh, you know, I don't want to talk politics, but uh, get me out of there. All right. Because <laughs> that's a decent Photoshop. And I'm starting to believe that I might have actually attended that and not remembered it. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like, wait, wait a minute. I mean, yeah, 2016 was a blur. <laughs> you know, it's funny. That's actually not the first time that a photo of me has been photoshopped into like random, uh, you know, pictures in history. There was um, back in, in college, I did something called Mr. University. And Brendan, you'll remember this. But part of doing a Mr. University is that, you know, every single person from attorney that's doing it, they get like their picture taken and like it's it's, you know, like you're supposed to be dressed up. And like, I'm just I was really awkward in college. So my picture, I'm just like sitting awkwardly on this giant chair smiling. And like and then when I saw all the other contestants pictures, like they're doing something cool and like, you know, sexy. And I'm just like this big, dumb, fat guy just sitting right in this chair. So we every everyone in the fraternity, like they got a, a, a copy of that photo and then just proceeded to Photoshop it. And then they they took a big uh, printout of it and like flat Stanley did everywhere. So I'd get pictures <laughs> literally three years after I graduated of this giant picture of me just like in Rome, you know, because like, <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, come on. So, uh, yeah, let's just say I, I was not, uh, you know, I, I was pretty used to that. that <laughs> me being in random, uh, you know, places in history. <laughs> oh, that was if you're ever caught somewhere that you you don't want to be, you can just show the evidence of all the times you've been photoshopped into those uh, bad situations, and now you have an out. You That's know, a great point. Permanent out. You're like, well, I I think it was it was chief again. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's not my fault. I'm just very photoshoppable, and I can't control the fact that everyone decides it would be funny to insert me into situations. <laughs> oh my god. Um, well, I mean, I mean, just you know, being a part of history and, and being everywhere there. I, I got to ask you, gentlemen, how much did uh, Jeff Birding pay you to start the pride? <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I don't want to go into specifics, um, but let's just say uh, I'm living pretty good in Anderson Township um, <laughs> in my, my two bed, one bath. I have not been paid. Um, maybe Payne got the check and he's just been living it up down in North Carolina now. And that's why I haven't talked to him in years because he's <laughs> taking all our money uh, from Jeff. But but no, I, I, I can safely report that uh, no income has come my way. Um, I paid no taxes on any income from Jeff Birding or FCC. So I'm, yes. I'm clean. Speak for yourself, Shwai. This is only the second podcast in eight years I've had to do to 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 fund my my living expenses. So <laughs> the burden check. Uh, no, it was it was fun. I mean, there were a lot of early days where like you'd you'd be rubbing elbows with the club execs, or there'd be cool opportunities where they it was mutually beneficial, right? Because they'd want this this fan base that there were weird things early on right with the chalk guy and, and the stuff like that and yep. so the club became really eager really fast to showcase the, the the authentic fan support that they got so there were all kinds of cool opportunities i mean even even stuff that happened later like w when we had the crystal palace friendly and lots of us got to go <laughs> meet those players and stuff like that in the you know the like event the night before or just um 
it was one of the U.S. Open Cup games where everybody was at Mech afterwards and like, uh, you know, the, the front office is buying rounds for the entire bar. There were like a lot of cool moments like that early on where it was like there's a small nucleus of of fan support and you kind of knew the the core group across the different sports groups and stuff like that. But it was just, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like, I'm never, I'm never going to hang out with Jeff Birding, you know? So like to see him out there, like drinking with, you know, the, who, I don't know, Harks or Koch or whoever the hell was coach when, you know, when these memories are all running together, like that stuff was, was pretty neat in the early days. Uh, so oh, I, remember, I, I, I remember you fangirling hardcore when we were at the, um, where were we? We were at the, we got invited by the front office to go to that kickoff event prior to West? No, no, no. It was the one at the actual Nippert Stadium with Crystal Palace. Oh, oh yeah. And like you yeah. were fangirling hardcore about being uh, that close uh, to Alan Pardue. There's a picture of Dude, that. Pardue is my fucking guy. I mean, the, the, <laughs> screw the players. I was like, this man, every time he coaches against Chelsea, they fucking lose. He's a genius. He's an absolute genius. Uh, no, it's, it was super cool. I mean, yeah. I watched him coach for years and we're years. All, so. We're all there. I think I, Schwa, were you at, were you at this event with us? I feel no, like you were. I don't think no. I was there, but I, I do remember this photo. There's a photo of you two and Brendan is absolutely cheesing out of his mind. <laughs> oh yeah. No, <laughs> he is like met Mickey Mouse at Disney world and he's eight years old. Like no, it's he, like, you would have thought BTS was there where he's like, do you think I'll take yes. a photo with me? Like, can we yeah. get a little closer? Maybe so I can take a photo with Alan. It, like, it was like this obsession. As soon as we walked in the room, it's like, ooh, yeah, Alan's here. <laughs> I, I shook his hand. It was a, it was a magical moment. It's like one of those things that's like not on your bucket list, but then when you do it, you're like, yeah, that, that, that that's up there. That's that's cool. It's neat. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really get any of the of the fun events. All I remember is uh is going to the the one county commissioner meeting and and booing Todd Portune. Um, so yeah, that, that the was man, the man was like disabled and died. Great, Grayson, it's a really funny story. I did not know he was disabled. Oh and my god! I, so I'm not from Cincinnati. I'm from Cleveland. Uh, I did not know he was disabled, and I talked a a lot of shit about Todd Portune before that, not knowing he was disabled. So to my surprise, being front row at that county commissioner meeting, literally about to just go ham on this guy, to see him crutch out with, with the double cane oh, no. I, I i almost passed away i i literally was like oh my god i'm the worst person in the world it, it um, feels like a, it feels like a sitcom episode where you like get into an argument where the character like gets into an argument with somebody online and then shows up and to like fight and it's a 12 year old that's a or, or or like somebody gets into a fight online with an employee and finds out that he has muscular dystrophy and it's like been honored multiple <laughs> yeah. times by the country he's from yeah yeah that would never happen never no that's just was, that's yeah, the kind of that thing. so needless to say uh my shit talking of todd portune uh ceased after that and then of we course really he do passed need- away <laughs> like you passed away like nine months later i'm like i'm going to hell like i am the worst person we really do need to do an episode at some point where it's just nothing but all of the stupid stories about the things that we ended up doing in service of because like there was a time where where the club would just be like hey do you guys want to get into mls we sure do well we need you to go to this this meeting and boo a bunch of elected officials (laughs) yeah that sounded completely normal yeah let's do that show up to lunkin airport at at 5 a.m we got donuts. <laughs> I, I was just going them. to games the whole time. I was not involved in any of this. No, it got weird. It got really weird. It, it sure did. 
Yeah, you really missed out, Grace. And the uh, the donuts meeting Don Garber in particular was great because the uh, they had all the supporters staged somewhere else, and then they marched them over to the hangar because I don't know. I we guess couldn't Carl be trusted. Want- yeah, we couldn't be trusted in the hangar for the billionaire's private jet. It's like they might break something. Put them yeah. put them in a supply closet yes. until they're needed. And throw surfs. some Dunkin' Donuts at them. <laughs> but but the thing that I remember is all the donuts were in the hangar, and and I went over to get some, and I was told that they weren't for us. Uh, <laughs> how that's so on those are all for don yeah don's a big duncan guy please don't eat these don's gonna stand there and eat donuts in front of you and you're gonna have to yeah. applaud politely while he does <laughs> otherwise he will not grant you a soccer franchise exactly. yes <laughs> jesus so was there ever a point when when you so you're you your roommates with Payne Rankin and he's like, hey, we're gonna start a soccer supporters group for a minor league club. Did anyone ever stop and say why? <laughs> oh man, uh you it, our chief, sorry, <laughs> have, have, I, I literally have oh God, you'll have to they're at the oh, bleep no, it already. It's fine. Chief, it's fine. <laughs> um you you vastly underestimate how boring my life was at that time. Um so when Payne said, you know, hey, let's start a, a supporters group for a minor league soccer team, I was like, hell yeah, man, something to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was right out of college, um, you know, making barely any money. And uh, I, lo- I re- honestly, to, I really love soccer and I'm a big English Premier League fan, big Arsenal fan, been was have been an Arsenal fan for over for over. It's been over a decade now. Um, so I was super excited to, to, to see a team come, um, to Cincinnati, you know, Cleveland never had one. Um, and you know, for me, it was like, wow, I can not only can I get it, you know, is there going to be a team for this game that I love, but you know, to be in a community that I've really ingrained myself in, like I, I was super excited. Um, so there was no, like, oh, you know, my, and the other thing too, and you guys have, have made a great point of it over the podcast is that, you know, from the get-go, like it was never going to be minor league. You know, they made that very clear um, right from the jump. When you saw that first rendering of Nippert full, it, it was like, oh, this is going to be different. This isn't going to be some some team that plays on Gettler Stadium in front of, you know, 30 people. And, um, you know, they, they sell dollar dogs to get people to come out. Like, no, this was going to be something that, that, that they're going to take seriously so that the city will take it seriously. And I think once we kind of knew, like, yes, it's USL. Yes, it's quote unquote minor league, but they don't think of them. Then they don't think of themselves that way. Then we thought of it as a professional outfit. Um, and it was really easy to get behind from there. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have a, a high level pro outdoor team in Cleveland, but when when we were kids, we had a pro indoor team. And so, like, I have a lot of fond childhood memories of, of the Cleveland Crunch and Cleveland Force as they've gone through different names like that was that was a uh, a big part of my childhood. Like growing up playing soccer, they always had the teams nights and stuff, and you get to go, and it was like it was a big deal, um, and it was cheap because it was indoor soccer, uh, right? So, so we had that, and so like I was looking for that. Like, also watch the Premier League, but when when it came around, I was excited to support local yeah. because there's that's such a huge part of the sport globally is like you you can pick your your team if you want to follow real madrid and you like the superstars you like chelsea or liverpool or whoever like whatever but the the aspect of supporting local is 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 so important and so i was like hell yeah we got one and the the 
local soccer politics were interesting too, because you had Dave Satterwhite running Cincinnati saints and they were the local team. So we had a grassroots movement and I played against these guys. Like, you know, in some of the, um, like when I played for, for UC's club team, like we scrimmaged them all the time and they were growing the thing, but, but Schwai's right. Like when it came through, it felt really different. It was like, Oh, there's, there's big money. Now this, this is no longer going to be a, every city in the U S is going to have a grassroots soccer movement and we're slowly going to build up to a league. It's like, no, there's a destination in mind. We want to get to the highest level to MLS play the big, big money game, do it like pro sports. And I mean, bless Dave, we, we play Sundays together still like he's, he's the man. Um, but it was like, it was just a different thing when you had that kind of backing with, with the owners. And that's what made it feel so different from what the Cincinnati soccer culture, like at the time had, had been. Brendan, I'm glad you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you guys that specifically about, you know, when you start the pride, when you found it, how much did it feel like you were starting, I don't know, a Cyclones fan club or a, what would now be like a Florence Yall fan club yeah. versus like, I don't know, having kind of realistic MLS expectations? I'm just curious how that mindset was. Yeah, I think we were the beneficiary, at least I know I was of really not knowing anything about what a supporters group was, um, what it really entailed. And so there was, all. I know Chris White loves to use this phrase, but you know, a lot of it, you know, building the plane as you fly it, you know, part of those early years, it was good to not really know what the destination was and just really like have fun with it. Um, and so there wasn't any sense of like, is this going to feel hokey? Is this going to feel weird it was very much like this feels like something one you know one the, the other thing too is like when you're doing it with your best friends it makes it a lot easier to do and and if it didn't work out it was still i'm gonna go get drunk with my friends and watch soccer like that's fucking awesome that's what i do on most weekends anyway now i get to do it for a sport that i really really like um but no i don't think there was any kind of like trepidation of like yeah this is gonna feel small or feel stupid or feel like Mickey Mouse fan club um, because we really just didn't have too many like specific goals until later on when we're like, oh shit, people like really like this and really like are gravitating to this. Not only do you feel a community with the team, but like the supporters groups are a community in in, in and of itself. Um, And so when you start to see the growth, okay, then you kind of level set and go, okay, like we probably need to like write some bylaws and like actually have some goals for growth and like elect an executive council. Um, but like really the start of it was so organic and so it, and born so out, so much out of like just pure friendship that it didn't, it never was going to feel forced to us um, because it, it, it just wasn't forced from the get go. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, you know, I didn't really, like I said, I, you know, I followed Arsenal, but like, I don't, I didn't really know about supporters culture. So there was nothing to like emulate with what we wanted the pride to be early on. Like we need the pride to be, you know, Cincy Gooners, or we need the pride to be whatever the, you know, the Chelsea, Chelsea army is like, it never, there was never like a, a North star, which in the beginning I think was a good thing. And then once you figured out what it might be, then it's like, okay, now that this is real, let's maybe try to see what works for other things. Um, but yeah, yeah, from the get-go, it was just it, it was just hey, let's have fun with this and, and and really try to make this a good environment for people. 
Yeah, I, I remember always feeling like we had our part to play, like we were joking about the, the donuts at, at the airport thing. And, and that was one I got to skip. I like I was meeting Crystal Palace's manager and Shwai was painting TIFOs and getting donuts at the airport. In the morning. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I know. different different experiences. But like I, I remember just like thinking about I remember that first, you know, the first scrimmage we played at Xavier and being like, oh, like there's like 50 people. This is pretty cool. And then we had the first scrimmage at Nippert and it's like, oh, there's like 100 people. And in like feeling like every time the club was going to need to hit a milestone, the fans had to be there. And like, we had a part to play in making it big time because if, if the club was going to get to that level and obviously the club let us know this really early, they were like trying to get us to show up to shit because it, it mattered. But like that was that transition that Schwai is talking about is what I remember most of the early years is feeling like it's not really about, us it's about the club which is a really healthy way to look at it right it's like if we want to have a team that is in you know that exists first of all that it can be economically viable and people are interested in coming out and watching and then you start to get these goals of like oh well we could get to the mls you know because we've got the money in the club now but we've got to have the support and all that stuff it just felt like showing up over and over and over again just really mattered and and that we were sort of like just part of the story of the club. And and then we started getting that feedback loop of like, Oh, look, we've awoken the, the soccer beast in Cincinnati. And like, we, we, we were on this, this feedback loop then of like getting this, this flywheel of the more people talked about the fan base, the more that the different supporters groups started to swell, the more you started seeing like families and, and different other, you know, other types of, uh, of fans like come, come out of the fold. So it was just, for for me, it was not like we were trying to take it somewhere. It's just that we felt like we had to play our part if we wanted it to be what we ultimately wanted it to be. It's kind of a weird thing where the more it became a thing, the more it became a thing that, you know, the more they talked about the fans and what the fan support was like, the more other people were would say, oh, this is someplace we need to be. We need to check this out because everybody's doing it. And then I remember there was like all of a sudden, suddenly I was having coworkers saying, oh, you do the FC Cincinnati, we're getting tickets this weekend because that sounds like it's a lot of fun. And that sort of kept feeding back in on itself. And the more people talked about it, the more people talked about it, which was kind of cool. And and even within the pride as an organization, you you saw people. So we're talking about, you know, a close group of friends that start this thing. And then if you look at even within a year and then now certainly what, seven, eight years on, the group of people that were attracted that is the same. It's the same thing. You've sort of created this thing that draws people in. And then those people are the ones that, that took all the responsibility. Right. I, I haven't been to a TIFO night in six years. Right. Like I, I, I was involved in the beginning and then I got married and started having kids and stuff like that and, and stepped away and to see what the group continues to do and how they draw people in and the people that step up and take the leadership roles and stuff. It's like, that's awesome. I don't take any credit for any of that at this point because it, it's, it's been the, the more, it becomes a thing the more it becomes a thing you know as you say right like that's that's kind of a fun a fun piece of it is how much it's grown and changed because of the the people that are drawn to it and then take responsibility for the the direction of the supporters group yeah i uh if i was in your position though i'd absolutely take credit for everything (laughs) i'm I'm taking credit i I want it on the record uh that yes i will be taking credit i just i just sneakily wear the really old merch you know like yeah the the original star subtle flex yeah i got the white silver bottle opener that fits in my wallet if you know what i'm talking about i I got i think it kills somebody by the way yeah yeah that bottle opener was sharp 
I feel like the Pride Year One bottle opener card should be like the Pride or even FCC fandoms uh, challenge coin. Like if you can replicate it, they owe you a beer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, but what came first, guys the uh, the Pride or the band? I'm not I'm not familiar with the timeline. Uh, the band. So Ooh. the band started in 2014. Um, back when we were all still in college, um, just a little bit of background. So Brennan and I, uh, grew up in Cleveland together. We went to the same high school, but he was a year above me. Um, but then when I went to, he both went to UC and then he was my RA my freshman year. So, um, yeah, exactly. So you're hanging out with dad. Yeah. I, I also, I also should note, not the only person, uh, on this podcast that we've interviewed from your high school. Correct. That is correct. Yes. The the Ignatius. Uh, there's a, a lot of Ignatius contingency on this podcast. Yeah. Mike Watts, um, the USL broadcaster, um, Ignatius grad and a really good friend of mine. Um, and Schwai's former commentary co-host. So don't let that's Schwai correct. Yeah. I did broadcasting with him. Short. I broadcast a soccer with him in high school. And that's kind of how we got how he got started doing broadcast. How he started broadcasting soccer was literally us kind of fucking around because no one was doing soccer. Um, and we were just bored and couldn't play sports. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we figured, Hey, let's at least talk about it, uh, and try to be cool and do something after school. Um, so yeah, so, so Brendan and I went to, went to UC together. He was my RA looked, looked the other way on a lot of things freshman year. And I really appreciate that. Brendan, I don't think I've said that to you in person. So I'll say it now. Um, a lot of drunk nights that I should have been absolutely ridden up. Um, you beat anyways, me once, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, no, no comment, no comment. Um, so we were both in the same fraternity. Um, and this would have probably been my junior year. You know, we had a lot of musically inclined people in, in the fraternity and we would just kind of jam with each other, like just in the fraternity house. Um, you know, instead of going out and partying and, you know, you know, getting girls, uh, we would, uh, write songs <laughs> Um, uh, but no, so we would just like jam and I think, I think this was around, yeah, this would have been around like May of 2014. Um, Austin, who's, who is Jim Trace, he's Jim. He was playing like this, uh, Lunkin beer fest, which, it, you know, it's never happened again. So one and done, <laughs> but, um, he was playing this Lunkin beer fest and he asked me if you, if I wanted to just kind of like do some songs with him, do some covers. And I was like, sure. Yeah. I got nothing else to do. Um, and then as we were learning the songs, I think Brendan, we were like, Hey, you know, you have a cajon. You want to just like play percussion on this? And he's like, sure. So he came over, we were practicing in, in Austin's mom's garage, like totally like the Quint, you know, the cliche band thing. You know, you know, playing in a garage and then pain. Um, we were like, do you want to play a mandolin? Uh, and he's like, sure. So he bought a mandolin and Austin dropped his guitar for a banjo. We're like, well, fuck it. We'll just be a folk band. Like, we'll just <laughs> we'll just pretend to be a folk band and play this beer fest. And we'll just play this one show and that'll be it. And we'll go back to jamming and just go back to just, you know, having a good time drinking beer. Um and then the f it actually went pretty well. Like, I remember, I, I do remember the power went out in our first set. I was like, this is a terrible omen. Like, the gods are like, you need to shut the fuck up. Um, but no, I just remember people going up to us and we're like, hey, like, that was really good. Like, we'd come out and see you again. And we're like, cool. 
And so we just started picking up gigs at, at around UC. We played at like Taste of Belgium and like Mio's Pizza. Um, we actually we actually got Taste of Belgium to change their band policy because we drank too much on their free tab and ate too much after the shows. That the literally the manager was like, "Hey guys, uh, really love having you here." you're kind of eating me out of any kind of profit I'm, I'm making tonight. I'm like, we we're like, Oh, sorry about that. Austin was getting like, you know, chicken and waffles and like an app and like all this stuff. And we're like, ah, okay. Um, but yeah, so then we just started playing around town and just like meeting other bands and they would be like, Hey, you know, we're playing over the river at like Thompson house. Like, do you guys want to like hop on a show with us? And we're like, sure. And it kind of just became a fun way to like, stay together because I was a year younger than everybody. So when they all graduated, I was still in school, but we still played and it was still, it was a cool way to kind of like stay in touch and like, you know, stay with these guys. And then also like to make a little money, make some beer money on the side. And, um, and, and yeah, that, that, that's kind of the, the origin story. And, you know, since then we've, we've really played all over, all over the city. You know, we played Southgate house a bunch. We played Bogarts. We played Thompson house. We played motor, you know, uh, Northside tavern. We played all the local spots and, you know, to say that we're still doing this almost 10 years later is kind of fucking wild, to be honest. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of iterations of the band have have kind of come and gone. Um, you know, we added a bass player. We dropped a, a violin player. Uh, you know, Payne left, so we dropped a mandolin player. Not that we really needed him anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did you let Payne be the uh, president of the SG in exchange for the fact that you would consistently turn his <laughs> instrument down on the mix when you were playing originally? Is that the full story uh, on yeah, that? Yeah, I think, I think that's why Payne <laughs> wanted to start his own thing, because he was not getting a, a, enough of the band, yeah. The, the, I, know, the I don't know if to this day he actually knows that we we were turning down the mandolin, so we got to cut that part of the I show. I don't know to this day if he knew how to play a mandolin. We, we've kept that under wraps for almost a decade. Don't blow that for us in case he ever comes back. <laughs> well, before I ask you guys uh, a little bit more about this show on Saturday, I had to double check it. I was really hoping Tommy G also went to uh, to your high school. He sadly went to uh, Shaker Heights. Shaker so we're Heights. About, we're about That's 10 miles away. Yeah. Um, but no, tell me, tell me about this show this weekend. I, I sell, sell me on this show before FCC. Brennan, you want to take it? No, it's all you. You got the, you got the, the, the key talking points. You go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the things I, I kind of failed to mention is that about six years into the band or about five years into the band, we added another, another guy from another local band, uh, Adam Forstoffel, who, um, is the lead singer of a band called the Grove. And, you know, we had played with them a bunch throughout the years. And then just kind of one of these days he was like, Hey, like, I'd love to like, you know, play with you guys and like be in your band. And we we're like, you're really good at music and we suck. So it'd be great to add a real musician to this band. Um, and so he, jo he joined our band and he's actually the one that started this um, local music music festival called the rock and revival. And it is, it happens every March. Um, over at the Southgate house revival in Newport. Um, and it's honestly one of the best showcases of local talent, um, that Cincinnati has to offer. Like seriously, like we are the worst band on the line. Like everyone, every band that plays, we're consistently blown away by how much like local talent is in this city. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a basically an all day festival. I think the doors open it too. Um, and there's just bands going on all three stages of Southgate House the entire day. It goes to um, the John Forstoffel Foundation for 
Uh, I'm going to butcher this. It, it, it's, a, it's a type of brain cancer. Chief, I think you might know how to pronounce it, so I'm going to put you on the spot. It's gli- I, glioblastoma. 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 Yeah, glioblastoma. No, I, I, I asked the wife. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Yeah. She teaches biology. <laughs> so it all goes to an awesome cause. Um, Adam's dad actually passed away from glioblastoma around 2016, um, and this this event was founded to, to raise funds um, for a foundation started in his name uh, in 2015. So he was actually at the first one and then passed away the year after. But, um, you know, the events raise over $50,000 since its inception. Um, you know, they consistently get about 800 to 1,000 people to come every year. Ryan Geist donates a dollar for every single beer. Um, and it's honestly just an awesome time, and we love doing it. And, you know, we played it before Adam joined the band. And then when Adam joined the band, you know, it was it was – you know, it was great because then we, you know, we, we'd play with him and then we would stay for his set and, and, you know, watch him play with the Grove. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just an awesome, an awesome event for, for the, the local music community to get together. Um, you know, like I said, pre COVID, there were a lot of different kind of music festivals and there used to be something called the bewilder fest that uh, urban artifact. I know there was some events downtown, but really post COVID, like there really hasn't been a kind of, big local strictly local music festival um in the cincinnati you know in the cincinnati area and this has consistently been one um that they that they do every year and we just we just fucking love playing it man it's it's a really great time oh that's that's incredible you've sold yeah. me all right I, I will i will do my best to be there and uh, I'll, I'll vouch yeah. for it too this is one of my favorite events of the year in cincinnati and it's one of those events like if you're of a certain age of and I am of a certain age, you can't help but think about how much lamer Cincinnati was when you were growing up versus Cincinnati now. And when I was growing up, there wasn't stuff like this. There just wasn't a lot of opportunities to see local music. Like local music when I was growing up was going to see the Rusty Griswolds play somewhere as they rocketed through the greatest hits of the 80s um, (laughs) at a church festival. And the fact that you can go and there's an event in town like this where you can see a bunch of bands that all play their own music. It's not cover bands. It's actual original uh, recording like bands in the Cincinnati area. They're all in one spot. If you haven't been to the Southgate House Revival, it's one of the coolest music venues in the city, if not the coolest music venue in the city. And uh, it's right across the street from Newport Pizza Company, which go get yourself a slice yeah, ahead of time. It's phenomenal. That's a great <laughs> selling point. <laughs> yeah, that the, place is awesome. The the venue the venue is definitely killer. It's it's our it, you know it's my I'll speak for myself. Just my my favorite place to play, and this is my my favorite show. And if you're if you're wondering what the type of music is like, that's another great thing about the show is that the, the idea is that it's local music, but it's not specific to a genre. So this, the set times are staggered 15 minutes on each stage. Right. So you got, I think the first one we said is uh, like three, three fifteen, And then the next band starts at three 30. And then the next one starts at three forty five. on those. They're on three different stages. So, uh, you know, outside of our set time, I literally will just walk between the three stages, you know, and, and, and catch the different acts. And there's always something e- unique and interesting and like different, uh, you know, stylistically. And, and it's just, it's fun to see, uh, the community on showcase like that. And then when you, when you, rein it back to like, and we're all doing something really productive with our time in this, this showcase. I mean, it makes it the best show of the year. So 
we're super excited to play it. Um, and, and since Adam joined the band, our, our set time got way better. Uh, you know, we're, we're <laughs> we moved up to the main room, but let's yeah, say we're, yeah. we're in the big room and we're not about three hours later. We're that. not the afternoon snack. We're, uh, we're the, uh, you know, the, the hors d'oeuvres before, uh, the Grove goes on, they, they close out the show. And when the Grove plays, they do, they've got a silent auction and raffles and all that stuff, right. Mm. All the, all the ways that you raise money. I mean, the, the ticket does cost something, but not a lot. And there's a lot of ways to give once you're there. So and dollars um, at the door. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to, uh, check it out before the game, um, or do it, I, I'll have a, a, probably a little stream up next to my kit and losing my, losing my place in the songs that we're playing, but, uh, trying to follow the game, but, <laughs> it happens um, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, ch- I mean, check, check it out for sure. You can definitely come and, and contribute, uh, you know, uh, all day before you head out, uh, to catch FCC. Oh, no. Awesome. Again, that is the uh, the Rock and Revival at the Southgate House. Revival in Newport. Doors open at 2. First band starts at 3.15. You can catch Jim Trace and the Makers around 6.30 on the main stage. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, it all goes to a good cause. So uh, yeah. get out there, support. If they're a little later than 6.30... It's because I've been given assurances by Schwai they're going to try and filibuster a little bit because I'm coming in hot from CVG um, <laughs> in New York for the Big East tournament and we'll get we'll get your motorcade. It's going to be tight. And if you want to see if you want to see off both of uh, with Adams bands, yes, uh, it looks like you can catch Jim Trace the Makers at six thirty. Hop an Uber over to the stadium. And then leave when the leave when the game's over. And according to TicketWeb.com, the Grove goes on at nine thirty. That is correct. So, so you, you can, can see most perfect. of most of that. Absolutely. Set I mean, <laughs> it couldn't have worked out better. I mean, maybe that's because Adam knows uh, a, a guy in a supporters group who might say, "Hey, there's a game on at seven thirty. Just letting you know if you want to move our set time up a little bit." <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, before we go, can I put you guys on the spot, please? Do you guys have any in the 11 out of the 18 music takes? I'm going to go I'm going to go totally left field with you. Uh in the 11 is Limp Biscuit because music Love should that. be fun and a band in a rock band that decides to treat rock music as fun should have I don't know slightly more praise than they get and it's cringe but so was like hair metal and so was glam and everything else so yeah just embrace you, you, the fun side of it you know when I turned on Limp Biscuit was when somebody introduced me to the term butt rock <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've never heard that what's the like so butt rock butt yeah, rock limp is like limp butt rock yeah. butt rock like limp biscuit stained um nickelback Branson. nickelback yeah evanescence is butt rock like once like oh. that once that term existed in the zeitgeist for me i was like yeah you know what now i have a word to put with what this music is shine down like just about oh anything my. we hey we opened for the the guitarist of shine down <laughs> we did it was the None weirdest fucking concert we've ever been to wait, wait, the people the, did not like us where was this one thompson house over in newport okay which know, funny it? enough was the original southgate house and yep. then i think the owners got into a bit of a, of a scuffle and and one broke off and started the, the Southgate house at a different location. But yeah, we right. opened for the guitarist of Shinedown. He was an incredible dick. 
And every single, every single person in that crowd is exactly how you'd imagine them. And that's all I'll say. I'm pretty sure he didn't allow us access to the green room. And there were like, there were, I believe, multiple green rooms and we weren't allowed to have any of them. No, we, we just were out all with them. the crowd. They called yeah. us up and we walked from the crowd. Like, like it was like, you know, uh, you know, just an open mic night. Uh, that's how that's how we got on my own my my mother paid to see us that night and i just felt so guilty for so many reasons i'm like you shouldn't be paying for this to begin with like you know and then he had to listen to shine down guy (laughs) shine down guy my my favorite green room story i've ever heard was uh third eye blind i guess would refuse to wear passes so they would make all the employees memorize the faces of the band members <laughs> and say, like, you have to recognize all of these guys. They get to go wherever they want. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and if they didn't recognize them, they just had to turn a blind eye, I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you bring the dad emoji from the project. <laughs> third eye blind, really? They were they were they were doing that? Third eye yep. I, mean, I love third eye blind, but they yep. were that big. Be doing You're that? not allowed to like them anymore. Those are the leading it. Semi-charm kind of life. Um, you know, you know, in, in my eleven would be if a local band did a did an updated cover of uh, the Lights of Cincinnati. Oh, 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 mm. oh. oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That'll be right after our butt rock phase. <laughs> <laughs> it gets your your British experimental nineteen sixties phase. That's my favorite part. My um my out of the eighteen is the Midwestern. I own a t shirt yeah. from this band. I haven't heard from them in a while. I'm kind of curious whatever went happened to them. They were a good local act. I'm I'm just curious if like there's any thought to doing a Chris Gaines Garth Brook things where <laughs> you come on at three thirty as the Midwestern and then return back at 630 is Jim Trace and the Makers. <laughs> I don't think we know know the, the the songs anymore from the Midwestern uh, to, to do that. Um, God, yeah. So it, what Chief's referencing is that our our, our band did the uh, the absolute cliche folk thing and went, hey, we should go electric. You know, the, the, the Mumford and Sons thing. Um, and uh, it didn't last long. Let's just say that uh, I, I actually, a, le- I I actually left the band because it was so bad and had to come back. Um, yeah, we went. Our, what we sneakily did is we just took the music and put it on our JTM Spotify and called it like the Midwestern EP. So it looks like that was just you know just a little blip in the radar. And we record, yeah, but yeah, not not a a, a particularly memorable time. Well, we, well, the the best the best memory of it and uh, w- was when we changed our name to the Midwestern and started putting out you know the here's the new logo and and you know here's our first show as the Midwestern. We got messages from two other local bands called the Midwesterns and the yep. Midwesterners, and yes. they both were like, "Hey, hey guys, man. not not cool." And we were like, we "We're like, sorry, we already made stickers. We already yeah. <laughs> we made it's out of our hands. hands." Yeah. Did they? Did, did you, those bands not like go after each other? Yeah. Did they know each other? <laughs> uh, one, at least one of them ended up changing their name over it uh, after a short period of time, and then I felt really bad. When and we then were, we yeah, changed our name again. like three months later back, and so we had this joke like we should change our name to what their name is now and just be consistently following their path <laughs> there was a this is there was a kid i knew in law school where and this is way back way back in the day um back when people were on aol instant messenger 
And there was this kid who had an AOL screen name of Alpha Factor 5 for some reason. And so my one friend created another screen name that was Alpha Factor 4 and just <laughs> sent him a message and said, I have already killed Alpha Factor 1, <laughs> 2, and 3. You are next. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, didn't ever identify that he was playing a joke. And so this guy got like really like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> we, what we should have done was put together a, a, a bill with them, right? There's always three yeah. billions on, on most bills. So we could have we could have headlined and had, you know, the Midwestern start, the the Midwestern in the middle, and then the Midwesterners at the, the late night. That would have been the... Uh, really confused everybody. You know, yeah. Do it that way. All right. Well, guys, at some point, this interview has to end, and I'm thinking it's soon. So, uh, no, very much appreciate you coming on again. Southgate House Revival, Newport, Saturday, doors open at 10. Or, no, open at 2. Tickets are ten dollars. Go, go support uh, Jim Trace and the Makers, and thank you guys for coming on. Thank you. So, and quickly, like seriously, like I love the podcast you guys are doing. I listen every week. It's awesome. I'm not just saying that because I I know you guys personally. Uh, you're doing a great job, and uh, I keep up the good work. Oh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. So. We're cutting all the interview before uh, between the part where you start out by saying that you're a big fan and you end by saying you're a big fan. So this entire yeah, interview absolutely. is just going to be you saying that twice, and then we're cutting you the, up, and then we're cutting back to your music again for the bumper. It's going to be great. No, don't don't ruin the compliment with our music. We're back, and that uh, was a heck of an interview. I really enjoyed talking to those guys, and. I like the early FC Cincinnati history and stories there. And uh, yeah, it's a good band and a good cause. So please support them uh, if at all possible. It is not great with FCC timing, but yeah. I'll say it when they're not on the air with us. It's one of my favorite events of the year. I hate that it's on an FC Cincinnati home game day, but I'm going to try and triple feature. I'm going to try and do exactly what they said. I'm going to land coming in from from New York, go to the show, see Jim Trace, Make it to the game, come back and see the Grove. It's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal event. If you go to this, if you go to this, you will not have a bad time. I guarantee you. Yeah, that was good stuff. Um, as we uh, we wrap up this uh, part three here, going to touch on a, a couple of bits of news, and then of course we've got our predictions for the weekend. Uh, first thing I've got up for is here: Nick Hagland gets an extension or. It's not a new contract. It's an extension as far as I can tell. But uh, yeah, good for him. He's making senior minimum or maybe a hair above because he has other responsibilities at the club that are kind of allowed to not count towards the salary cap. Uh, but Grayson, you noticed you noticed something in particular with the press release on this one. Do you mind, you mind expelling, explaining this? Yeah. And look, I'm I'm pumped. That, that Nick Haglund's going to be with the team at least through 2024. Um, I want Haglund to retire with us and then get a job with the team after he's retired and be associated with the team until he dies. Um, I, I cannot say enough good things about Nick Haglund. Yeah. Um, I've never once denigrated the deal that brought him here. Um, and I will defend it. I will defend it to till the day I die. Um, but... <clears throat> It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way that the press release said that, you know, Hagland was the, um, you know, he had the most games played for FC Cincinnati. He was three away from being the first player to have 100 appearances in all competitions for FC Cincinnati. 
And it's that's simply not true. Um, Corb, <laughs> Corbin Bone has 110 appearances for FC Cincinnati. Jimmy McLaughlin has 103 appearances in FC Cincinnati in all competitions. The team existed before 2019. We were all there. And what it it feels like there's this. And I understand that there's like corporate. It's a like from right. a corporate governance standpoint, it's a different team. Right. But it's not a different team to the fans. No. And and the history, I think the history in USL matters. It's what got the team into MLS. It's what made us fall in love with FC Cincinnati. It's what kept, you know, me, I think, and I assume many others going over the first, you know, three years of of MLS for this team. Yes. Um, the team, a, a, a documentary just went up on uh, Amazon. <laughs> that is right. like... 80 90 percent stuff that happened in usl um right that all happened you know and like i don't know why and i know that in mls things change and like just because i'm not saying this is not one of those like oh, this is how we did it in usl it has to always stay the same in mls all i'm saying is that stuff happened right and it mattered because we were there. And yeah. The, the, the tough part is, is that there's not a lot of history in this team. And MLS is a league that just doesn't have a lot of history. And what if we, we've talked about it here before is that the uphill struggle of MLS is that you're competing with leagues around the world. And we're going to touch on this in a second. You're competing with leagues around the world that are steeped in history, that have tons of background and that there are. There, you walk into a place like Anfield or you walk into a place like Stanford Bridge and you, you feel that this has meant something for a long time. You don't get that in MLS. Everything's bright, shiny, and new. So the idea of erasing any history is stupid. And why wouldn't you want to embrace the part of the story with FC Cincinnati where the, t the, the city so loved this club and so got behind this club when there was no reason to do it. They were a minor league team in a city that had never been successful with soccer, and they fell in love with this, this sport and with these players. Why wouldn't you embrace that part of the club's history and make that a center point of what makes this club special? Like they want to talk about the traditions of the club, and they're making all this, this happy horse shit up with mascots stabbing piles of dirt. The traditions in the history of this club happened at Nippert Stadium when this team was in the USL, the first March, the stuff that we just got done talking about with Schwai and, and Brendan. That history comes from USL. Embrace it. It hurts nothing. It doesn't make MLS less yeah. to acknowledge that there was something that was here before that that turned into MLS. If anything, it, it gasses up MLS because – MLS was an aspiration that we achieved. It was never a villain. It was always the goal. Tell the part about achieving the goal a little bit. It never made sense to me either because it's not clear what MLS is protecting against. Like, are they worried that if they acknowledged that the team played in USL that we'll all leave the team and become USL fans? Like, what is, what is the actual concern here? And it's... 
it, I don't particularly care about the corporate structure or the exact LLC document that is signed that is, you know, legally operating the team or whatever. Um, it's FC Cincinnati. It's always been FC Cincinnati. Nobody outside of, I guess, hardcore Celtic fans will try to tell you that Rangers is only a couple of years old and is a new team and they're just playing on the old history of the old club. Like, it's just, it's absurd to to run from that when it's, as Chief just put, it's, it's only a positive there. And uh, it's such an easy, it's such an easy fix. Yeah. All you got to do in these press releases, if you want to say this player has the most goals or right. this player has the most appearances, is just tack on MLS. You know, in the MLS era. Yeah. Uh, you know, it doesn't change anything, but it, it at least it's at least factually accurate. Yeah. There is one other place that this does get used a lot, and it's for this reason, and it's specifically for the attempt to crush previous history is the premier league does this shit all the time where they'll go highest goal scorer in premier league history i don't want that i want the highest you know goal scored in a single in a single season in the top flight of english soccer because the premier league was created in 1994 and there's this weird you know attempt to make it as if soccer or football was invented when the premier league was invented and and trying to erase all of that history not a fan. Um, Chief, I noticed uh, you saw this one. I saw this one. I I have a weird reaction to this, which is a big shrug emoji. But news is out this week that Apple TV has a, a, uh, a get out of jail free clause, allegedly, in their contract with MLS that if certain metrics aren't met and nobody was able to spell out what those metrics were... Um, Apple would be free to walk away from their 10-year commitment with MLS uh, if if uh, if things weren't going right. What was what was your thought here? Uh, my thought initially was, well, that makes a lot of sense. It's a brand new business venture for everyone involved, and everyone sort of acknowledged that this isn't exactly a super popular league that Apple was buying. So I I, I guess it makes sense, and I I'm kind of shocked that this is shocking that the league would have something in the contract to try and force MLS to deliver on numbers and on um, some mm -hmm. sort of metrics. But my other reaction was, if that's true, man, is the league not doing a great job at trying to promote itself? Like, if you knew you had to hit subscriber numbers to the MLS league pass, wouldn't you have been really aggressively beating the drum for yourself in the preseason and building hype and anticipation for the league. And instead we all commented on it over and over again, that it, it felt like this league was invisible in the build up to the season. And when you started the TV package, wouldn't you imagine that you had more content and more stuff on there for people to watch? I don't know. It's I'm not, there's no way they're opting out of this deal prior to the 26 world cup. So this yeah. is definitely a future problem but if there is an opt-out mls is being pretty cavalier about the whole situation yeah. yeah so so a couple of it's a it was a weird it was a weird article because it was it's incredibly vague right and it's the type of thing that you can say 
and it sounds super scary. Like, like you say it and like your immediately thought is, oh, shit, if they don't hit some metric this year, Apple's going to back out after this season. Right. Right. But. Like, like the chief just said, like, we don't know when the opt out can be triggered. We don't know if it's like um, a certain number of subscribers in the first five years. Um I agree that it's almost certainly not going to be before the 2026 World Cup. Uh, we also don't know like what the subscriber level is. You know, like right. it, it, it would not surprise me if it would surprise me if there wasn't at least some kind of catastrophe clause that that didn't that didn't protect Apple um, in the event like everybody backed out of 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 apple in the event nobody signed up for an apple subscription right and then you could just report that that there's a that apple has an opt-out and that would be accurate but it would be an opt-out that in in by any stretch of the imagination is almost certainly never going to be triggered yeah you know and it's just another thing like yeah, I mean, there's all there's gonna be all types of stuff in contracts. Like, there was an there was a quote unquote opt out in the MLS CBA, um, right? That 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 the league could opt out of the CBA. It's just it took a global pandemic for <laughs> for the league to be able to exercise that right. You know, but you could have but you could have written accurately after the last CBA was ratified. Oh, the league has an opt out, right? That right. doesn't provide any of the context or relevant information of like what that what that means, um, and so I, 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 I would not, I, I would not, uh, I would not read too much into that. Yeah, uh, because we have no idea what the contours of that are. Yeah, and I know everybody freaks out about like. This MLS deal is worth whatever it was, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars or I think it was I think it's two hundred fifty million dollars a year, a year for 10 years. So yeah. just just to put a little bit into perspective, Apple has about as much cash on hand, like sitting in their <laughs> checking account as the U.S. government does. So like Apple doesn't care about MLS and that this is if nothing else this is Apple's first you know attempt to iron out the kinks for when they inevitably get the Premier League rights or they seriously bid on the NFL in a couple of years or what have you or the Pac-12 heavily rumored on that and to your point Pac-12 and these regional sports networks I would be shocked if any future deals with any sports league doesn't have a clause like this. If there is a future where MLB is entirely on some Amazon platform, that if baseball isn't driving enough new Prime subscriptions that Amazon could get out, it's a brave new world where 
cable was, you know, you had your, your, your Nielsen families that were filling out notebooks for a couple of bucks in the mail. There wasn't like this instant feedback that you can say, okay, the chief started watching on this device, gave up at this minute, watched this amount of content. Like the metrics are so much more intense that what you used to say was, oh yeah, 40 million households tuned into this program. Now you know exactly which households, exactly which ages, exactly which devices. Um, you know, with eye tracking technology, they could probably even tell you how closely they were paying attention to the product. Um, your metrics are under a much tighter microscope. And, and not only that, the, the economics involved are completely different. Like it mm -hmm. used to be the justification for the regional sports network buying the Reds rights was that they needed to have the Reds or whatever your local team was to justify their inclusion on the basic tier of your cable package, because then they would go and charge the cable provider $1 per household. Like we talked about this last week yep. with streaming content, you've got to be value added. Like you have to prove that you having the rights to this streaming platform like Amazon prime, having the NFL games gets X number of additional people to sign up for, Amazon Prime. MLS on Apple TV has to be a value driver for Apple. And if you aren't justifying the cost to acquire the rights, then we've seen what these streaming services do. Netflix cancels shows all the time because it's like, well, we have judged this not to be worth the money in terms of how many subscribers it's going to bring in. Yeah. So you've got to deliver. Or conversely, yeah, so you've got to change the numbers behind how much the package costs and everything like that. And these tech companies are brutal about stuff like this. Yeah, so I, I just, I think, I think realistically, even if there is an opt out, opt out, and even if it is something that is moderately likely to be triggered, I think what that realistically means is Apple renegotiates the deal in some respect so they either give mls a little bit less money on an annual basis or they require um higher guarantees of how much mls invests on the production side or mls doesn't get the full amount unless they hit certain incentives yeah like there are so many eventualities that, that i i think it's i think it's <laughs> I think it's I think it's borderline irresponsible to to throw in your article without any context or details that Apple has an opt out. Right. And make it something that's like a featured. It's it's meant I don't know. I mean, it's. Yeah, it's, it's meant to it's meant to get clicks. It's meant to get you know, people to to worry about it. And I think that there's just way too many contingencies at play with yeah. what that looks like and how that actually plays out if it even is triggered, which I don't know how likely that is, that I it's not gonna be something I, I spend much time thinking about. Yeah. And let's keep in mind MLS is fairly confident, quietly confident that they will be able to uh sign Lionel Messi at some point in the near future, and that will <laughs> that will radically alter the way uh, this entire thing looks. Um, if, you're, if, you're if you're Messi's agent and you know, hey, you've got a subscriber goal to hit, yeah. all of a sudden it's like 
you're going to need to show me a lot more zeros than whatever that contract is. I don't know that it has any meaningful. I don't think it has any meaningful impact on how many zeros or <laughs> other type, other forms of compensation Messi can command. I mean, if Messi gets a cut of every new subscriber in the first month that he signs the deal or something that you could easily attribute to uh, his addition to the league, then maybe maybe it gets a little a little fun and interesting there. Um, no, but I mean, we, we've we've hinted at this before. The U.S. is in an, or I should say, MLS is in an interesting, interesting position because they are competing with these other leagues uh, all around the world that have different histories and, in most cases, larger fan bases. But the saving grace has always been that FIFA straight up does not allow them to come to the United States. There is no FIFA of American football that prevents uh, the NFL from playing in Japan and, and crushing the hopes and dreams of whatever uh, you know small professional Japanese league might exist there. However, uh, there was a lawsuit a couple of years ago that that made some news about this, and uh, yeah, Grayson, it it's back from the dead. I don't I don't know what a lawsuit does in the intervening years, but <laughs> yeah. So so relevant sports, the company that puts on the international uh, champions cup. Those, ICC fr- is all I know. Yeah, yeah, the ICC. It's the those <laughs> games you see where like. Manchester United plays Real Madrid in Michigan Stadium or whatever. Yeah, no, there are no starters playing for either team. Right. right. And it's those are those are all friendlies. And the reason that those are all friendlies is uh, there's a FIFA rule that says that um, it essentially bars uh, leagues from holding uh, competitive matches outside of their their territories. And um, the the rule came up in 2018 there was a plan where La Liga was actually planning to put some games in Miami. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other, there's been other interests. Like I'm sure Liga and Mechies has considered putting games in the United States and uh, relevant sports sued FIFA and U S soccer saying that that rule violated uh, United States antitrust laws and the, the lower level court uh, dismissed the lawsuit. And today well, this will be two uh, two days ago uh, when when you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> Tuesday, uh, the Court of Appeals actually uh, reversed that decision, finding that the um, the the rule, the FIFA rule, might be an illegal territorial restriction to prevent competition. So um, essentially, you know, all of the different country federations. Uh, join up with FIFA and then FIFA promulgates rules and they all agree to violate to to comply by those rules. And what they're saying is that this is essentially an agreement by the different leagues in the different countries not to compete with each other in certain geographic territories. And uh, that may violate um, U.S. antitrust law. And if it does, which we don't know yet because it's got to go through the whole through the whole process. Um, but if it does violate U.S. antitrust law, then it means that if Liga Emekis wants to host some games in El Paso or San Antonio or San Diego or La Liga wants to put some games in Miami, there's really nothing preventing them from doing that, which would be a very interesting uh, development. 
you know, we already know that Mexico comes to the U.S. quite a bit for their national team games yep. because they get such big crowds here. Um, so I don't know that there's that there's a lot of news on it, but it's certainly something to keep your eye on um, in MLS. And I think it raises some interesting possibilities for, you know, partnerships or potential merger between U.S., between MLS and Liga MX. I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that can fall out of it. So I think it's just something to keep your eye on. At this the, point. the interesting thing is that if you follow this at all, um, the United States sports fans are shockingly okay with their teams going to play internationally. Like there isn't much of an outrage <laughs> yeah. when the Jacksonville Jaguars or even the Cincinnati Bengals have to give up a home game to go play in London. It's kind of seen as like, oh, that's kind of neat. We get to take a fun road trip. And I know a lot of people that went over for the last Cincinnati Bengals London game. You go across to Europe and the reaction of the fans to the idea of their teams hosting home games overseas where they can't go is we're going to storm the team offices and burn the places to the fucking ground. Like they are, they, they lose their mind in Europe at this concept. So while it's to the, to MLS and to American sports, there, there should be a little bit of existential dread of, Oh, we're already getting our lunch eaten on television ratings by international leagues. Now they might actually start playing games on our soil places that should be worried about this. Theoretically, Miami, should be very worried about international games coming there. New York, uh, same situation. But the more interesting part of this story for me is what the reaction will be like when all of a sudden Barcelona is suggesting we're going to play the El Clasico in Miami or what the reaction is going to be in Liverpool when the American owners decide they want to play a game outside of Anfield and give up their home game in order to play a game in Boston at Fenway park. And yep. that's going to be a shitload of fun to watch. Yeah. I, uh, the dumbest thing of all of this is that relevant sports was basically started by the owner of the Miami dolphins. And that this entire endeavor is just to give him more summer and spring inventory for his stadium. So (laughs) he's going to upend the laws of FIFA so that hard rock stadium can host two extra games a year or whatever it ends up being. Um, Yeah, no, I, I, other things to keep an eye on uh, the premier league at one point had a leaked memo about a, uh, an additional game that they would throw in on the end of the year that they would play all over the world. So not even, just outside of Europe, but like the United States and Southeast Asia and China and Japan and whatever else. Um, I'd also, I mean, one of the first things I would expect is a New York City Champions League final or neutral site Champions League games as well, since most teams are already traveling uh, long distances for that in a lot of ways traveling, you know, if PSG and Chelsea are playing in the final in New York, that's probably closer than Moscow and, and, or, or, you know, Ankara or wherever they're going. So, um, yeah, there, there's different places it could end up that way, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm MLS, I'm shitting bricks. This is not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't think MLS is going to start like before they can fire the first opening salvo, we're going to send 
uh, LAFC and LA Galaxy over to Europe to go play somewhere in England. I mean, the real yeah, dream. Dallas and Houston and Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real dream would have been getting, you know, Ronaldo to LAFC and Messi to Miami and playing that game in London or something. And yeah, you absolutely could have sold out Wembley or something like that. Um, yep, but didn't work out that way, so... There you go. Uh, this, well, is, this this all ends with Wrexham just like moving to the United <laughs> States permanently, doesn't it? They they, they move into a Lincoln <laughs> financial field. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, all those fans that they feature in the documentary just sad and pissed right. that the team the, is gone. <laughs> the Philadelphia Wrexhams. Their actual name is the team that is the city they left. <laughs> <laughs> the fighting yeah. Wrexhams. <laughs> uh, you give it. You give it like fifty years. No one will really remember. We'll just be like, well, that's yeah, no odd, one remember. That's an odd nickname. Oh, it's just because we wreck them. The, the <laughs> Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Lakers are uh, right. are hoping nobody notices too. And you just you say it in a deep <laughs> Philadelphia accent, like Grayson did. Right? Oh, it's a Philadelphia Rexham. We wreck them every week, man. <laughs> <laughs> we wreck them when they come here. We wreck them when we go there. <laughs> we we'll always wreck in those Johns. <laughs> we uh when when we are obviously at the soccer tournament this summer we should definitely make a uh Cincy SC Wrexham so as in Rex them um anyway we've got to predict this Seattle match uh the match is coming up this weekend i don't know how you guys are feeling about this i uh I'm, a lot I'm less actually great than I did at the start of the year based on how Phil, of Seattle's playing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hint nervous about this one. It's it's one of those things where it's hard to tell if Cincinnati played two really good teams or Seattle's played two really bad teams or both. But Seattle looks like they've returned to form after a bad year last year that was largely due to injuries, really. And um Cincinnati's stuck in a second gear there. Doesn't doesn't seem to have that uh, killer instinct. God, there we go again. Uh at the end of the uh the end it's of the not field. Their day, their month, their week, or even their year. <laughs> <laughs> so Chief, if you had to put a scoreline to it, what do you uh what do you think happens here? Oh, I I don't know what to say about this one. I'd feel a lot better if Brenner, Lucho, and Vasquez were in form mm -hmm. but without them being in form you're just sort of guessing i i'm i'll be generous and say two two draw i don't know i just uh, seattle looks really really good they're crossing time zones so i'm gonna hang my hat on There's that, that travel travel in mls is a bitch so maybe three to us but i feel like it's gonna be a shootout predict it grayson I see you thinking you don't want to predict a loss, but you're also wondering how contrarian would it be? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going contrarian. I'm going three two Seattle. <laughs> my, my, what I had in my head before we started this segment was four two Seattle. So I, I don't want to predict that. I will say that Seattle hasn't played a defense as good as ours. And I will also say that we have right now sneaky, one of the best defenses in the league. And I say we beat them three to one. I think we get firing on all cylinders. Our guys are hyped to be back at home. Seattle's traveling. Maybe they're resting some legs. And uh, yeah, I think I think we get the win here. All right, let's go. 
<laughs> we can't all be right. <laughs> <laughs> we predicted a win, a loss, and a draw, so this will be fun. Um, oh, shoot. We uh, we predicted a win back in December, so we'll see if we yeah. can keep that hot streak going. Yeah, I think the thought there was that Seattle would still suck, and that is not how the season has started. So, <laughs> As long as Jordan Morris doesn't score, that's... That's the insult moment. Brexhe has already broken my heart multiple times. I am immune to uh, a meme player beating us. <laughs> no. No time for that. Oh, well, there you go. That That is uh, this week's final postcast. Uh, check out Gem Trace and the Makers this weekend before you watch that uh, FC Cincinnati team beat Seattle 3-1. to one. <laughs> oh, Draw Seattle. <laughs> Uh, support local music and fuck Columbus. All of the music in this podcast was done by Jim Trace and the Makers, an amazing local Cincinnati band. You can find more information about them in the description of this episode. Also, be sure to check out The Post Cincy at thepostcincy.com. That's where we're posting our written content. You'll find a wide range of content there posted regularly. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app, or better yet, share this episode with a friend, a family member, a fellow FC Cincinnati fan, somebody you think might enjoy this content, please send it on over uh, to them. We would really, really appreciate that. And if you haven't done so already, we do have a Discord server. Feel free to drop in and join the conversation happening there. Again, links to that can be found on the website or in the description of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>